Hello and welcome to another Club Sports 10 Bit More podcast. Today I'm really delighted to have along with me Martin Parnell. Martin is the marathon man from Cochrane. We met at the Red Rock Running Club in Cochrane, where Martin at the time was running lots of standalone marathons. In 2010, though, Martin came up with the great idea of running 250 marathons in a single year. That's five marathons a week. And he started in January of that year. So welcome, Manning. And I know one of the topics we really want to talk about today is how can we get more people motivated to get out running? Not necessarily marathons, but just to get active. And I know you've got your publication coming out soon, The Ages Athlete. So let's get moving as the mantra goes, one foot in front of the other. And let's really start with early days. How did you get into sport? What was your sporting background like as a child back home in England? Yeah, sure, John. So I was I was what is known as a, a huggable child. So I was I was fat. I was a tubby kid, and that caused me a lot of problems, um, spe- specifically with sport and school and school teams. So so whenever there was uh, you know whenever they picked up the, the 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 two teams, I was always picked last. So whether it was you know football or cricket or rugby, um, always be you know, you know, Tubby Parnell, you know, picked up last or, you know, put him in goal or whatever. So I, I, I didn't have a great experience with school, school sports, but really what made the difference is when I came home, uh, I'm the oldest of six children and mum and dad were very sports minded, but very much for the love of sport. And so, you know, during the weekends and the evenings, uh, I'd be out kicking a, a, you know, a football or we'd be playing tennis or table tennis or badminton. And so it was. It was really the the growth of playing sport and sports for sports sake, not not to um, you know silo a, a person or you know silo me in one sport and kind of push that direction. And I, I'm so happy that's the way it went. It's interesting because I've interviewed quite a few expats from back home in England, and they all seem to present this multi-sport grounding in their development. A grounding in all sports, and and really, my parents you know, were, were, were key and they were all round sports. I mean, they, they, both of them played tennis and, you know, table tennis and badminton and so on. So, you know, that was important. Okay. So can you just quickly tell me who was the greatest influence on your career in sport? I mean, obviously nowadays you're, you're known for your running, even growing up and when you found the passion of running again, who was the greatest influence on, on those decisions? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting, my, my roots through sport, uh, as I mentioned, I, you know, for me, it, um, it was a rocky start. Uh, and, you know, once I got through school and beyond school and into kind of university, I, I really didn't do a lot. I mean, I, you know, I liked the game of tennis now and then I picked up golf, but really for the longest time, I was, you know, what I call a bit of a player, you know, a bit of this, bit of that. And so it wasn't until the late 40s when I started running and, and, and the only reason I started was because I was challenged to a marathon by my brother, younger brother, Peter. And so, so really I got kind of got back into the, what I feel the sport world and the person who influenced me the most was my very first um, running mentor. I, and I'll, I'll call him a running mentor. He was part of a running club, the Subbury Rocks running club and uh, Vince Perdue. And I started running, didn't have a clue what I was doing. But he took me under his wing and really, and, and to this day, I, I, I talk to Vince and he's really taken me along my running journey. Okay. And again, you're known as the marathon man. You had your marathon quest a few years ago. In a lot of sports, we ask the question, is it luck or graft? Now, running a marathon, there's a lot of graft in that. 
There's not much luck in it, John. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I mean, if you're relying on luck to run a marathon, well, good luck because uh, <laughs> it ain't there, mate. It's to, to be honest, it's pure graft. I mean, it's pure, you know, pre- preparation, training, uh, you know, knowing knowing what you need to do. I mean, and I'll share this with you. I think the five, the ten, and the half, you can sort of get away with a lot. You know, if you if your nutrition hydration isn't quite right, or if your training isn't spot on. You can kind of get to the end of those runs. If you try that with a marathon, it's going to hammer you. You're going to be suffering big time. So a question I've got, and I've got a colleague who asks this all the time. With your training, how do you, you, know, how do you manage those days? I know some days I go out and I just feel all over the place. It is not a good run. But again, like you say, the graph gets you through. Other days you're flying. And I see a lot of Runners, when they look in, they want to see, they, they do the numbers and they want to see progression. And as soon as there's a, a blimp in the road, they think the wheels are coming off. How do you sort of manage that? Do you just focus on the process or do you see that blip in the road as catastrophe and, and everything going wrong? Yeah, no, no. This is, a, I believe, it's a much more holistic um, approach that we need to to what happens to us. I mean, you're going to get off days. So, and you know, everyone has them. If I have an off day, I say, you know, I've been out sometimes to go for a, you know, a 20K run and I've turned around after 1K and I'm fine with that. You know, if that happens and, it's, and that's not your day, then fair enough. Just make sure the next day is your day. I mean, you don't want to have too many days when, you know, it doesn't quite work. Um, so I'm very much kind of the bigger picture. You know, I, I can have a good week, maybe not such a great, you know, or or not particularly good week, but that's okay. And it's all kind of a journey towards what I'm trying to do. And especially when I, you know, do things like um, speed training, if I'm doing, you know, repeats, say, you know, whatever, 1K repeats, I'm going to have a good day, I'm going to have a bad day, but but I'm not going to judge it on that one event. I think that's that's not the way to go. This is a journey to get to somewhere. And even when we, and I'm sure we'll talk about outcomes, you know, even when you get an outcome, you don't, that doesn't work. Well, the only question is, what do you learn from it? That's that to me is you know what it's all about. It's an interesting one because again, I was chatting to a friend this morning uh, when I was out running, and with Strava and virtual races and all that's going on and the data, the power of meters, everyone's looking at where they are here and now and today. And like I said to her, the only time that really counts for me, and that it's not even so much that that counts, is the outcome day, the race day, the numbers. I'll look at afterwards, but even then, the key is how I felt getting that, that final number. Yeah. So yeah. again, how, how, do you, how do you manage that? How can you reconcile those off days? And do you just keep looking towards the final outcome? Or how do you, how do you manage those in your mind? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'm a bit of a numbers guy. I'm an engineer, so I'm a bit of a, you know, you know, a, bit of a nerd. I love doing spreadsheets and stuff. So, you know, I like to keep track of, of what's happened in the past. And, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a number of things you have to, you have to kind of, I don't know, be honest with yourself about how, how do you feel? Um, have you had an injury? What's been going on in your life? Have you had stress, you know, stress things you've got to deal with? And, and, you know, the numbers will definitely help as to where you've been, but don't, don't live and die by one set of numbers on one day for heaven's sake. Like, like, you know, I've had a rough week in, in uh, training, approaching a marathon. You know, I thought there's no way I'm going to come close to my target. The next week, it seems like you know, I've gone off a plateau and come up again. So I think have faith in the process, have faith in what you're doing and stick to it. I think if you do that, you won't get stressed out by every little blip and every little, you know, thing that um, is a little bit off. I think that's, that's fantastic advice and key. 
not just to marathon running. I think this can apply to all sports. And again, as someone working in a team sport coaching, quite often, as soon as a player hits a blip or misses a shot on goal, they start beating themselves up straight away instead of looking at where is this road leading to. Like we said, it's, it's about graft, but also the mental, the, the mental toughness that's needed for running a marathon or multiple marathons. So really, what are the main mental skills that you draw upon in your races and how do you use them? Yeah, so great question, John. So over my my running career, since I was 47, I'm 64 now, so you know, whatever that is, 15, uh, 16 years, I've used a number of different approaches and, and it's kind of evolved. So when I started, I, re- I was really driven by achieving some outcomes in terms of running five, tens, halves and marathons. I wanted to hit certain times. I want to qualify for Boston. So they were external uh, drivers that really, you know, that really that I wanted to do. And, and that worked. And, but that then evolved into me running longer and also doing uh, longer events. So I took up triathlon. I did three Ironman triathlons. I took up ultra running, um, ran 100K, 100 miles. And then, as you mentioned, John, in 2010, I ran the uh, 250 marathons in one year. But the reason I did that and what drove me was I was raising money for the children's charity Right to Play. So there was an external reason for me to continue grinding five marathons a week for a whole year. And that's what drove me is the commitment I made to those children that I would raise money to help them. And so, as I say, you can have internal drivers and external. And to be frank, what I found is the the external drivers tend to uh, push me harder. When I've committed to, to somebody outside, then I really feel I have to come through with it. What about those lonely days when you're out there by yourself? You've got that internal drive, but the body's really breaking down. How yeah, do you keep yourself going? It was it was brutal. I mean, I started <laughs> I started on January the first, two thousand and ten, and I decided to run these marathons in Cochrane, you know, in Alberta. I mean, I should have picked San Diego or you know somewhere <laughs> similar because you know for the first month it was it was minus thirties and. Uh, yeah, you know what? I just think it was I was I was tuned in to what I needed to do, and I had a team. I mean, I, I think this is one thing we need to talk about. Is I talked about my mentor Vince Purdue. Well, uh, for Marathon Quest two hundred and fifty, I had a sports team which had my family doctor, um, a physiotherapist, a chiropractor, a nutritionist, and a sports psychologist, and that was critical in helping me getting through those tough times. And so I think, you know, we might talk a little more about, you know, coaches and their role. But I mean, I believe that for me, I needed a team. One person wasn't going to do it. And absolutely, they helped me get through that year. So again, I I love that because quite often, you know, when I go and race my Ironman, and again, I've just reflected it's 10 years today since I first raced Hawaii. And I look back at the people who helped me get there and the journey that I've done since. And quite often people look at the individual solo runner out there by himself and think it's all about him and there's not a support network there. So how, how important do you feel that network is and how, how can people access that more often and, and should they? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of options, all right? So, I mean, when I uh, had my mentor and still have Vince, um, you know, I left, I moved from Sudbury, so I moved away from him and he's, you know, Vince isn't a full-time coach. So I've used, you know, I've used books, magazines, podcasts, videos. Uh, so I, I didn't, quote, have a coach for many, many years, you know, after, after I started running. Then I had the, uh, the, the, the team for the, for the Marathon Quest 250. 
Uh, but I continue using all these you know, other options in terms of coach, self-coaching. But recently, I, I took on a challenge called uh, 62 Beats 47, where I tried to uh, beat, at the age of 62, my uh, personal best in the five, the 10, the half, and the full that I had recorded in, uh, at the age of 47. And I decided then to take, to take on a coach. And I, I, I hired a coach. And I think that you know, that's kind of key, somebody who's an expert. And I hired Moak Kent, who um, lives in Co- or did live in Cochrane. And Moak coached me for a year along that journey. And how, how did that feel, working with someone, having that network, opposed to when you went out solo? Well, I got to say, he pushed me harder. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be clear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad student, all right? When I'm told to do something, you know, I'll, I've got the discipline to at least give it a good shot. But, you know, Moke knew when to push and he knew when not to push. And uh, there's no question that um, I elevated my, you know, my, my running performance during that year. And, you know, I'm a bit of a number, I'm a bit of a kind of a, um, a gadget geek as well. I do like the, you know, the garments and the, yeah. and the pods and stuff. I do like to kind of measure. Um, I find it fascinating, but um, you know, it, it was, it was a real eye opener as to some of the, the things that I didn't realize that were important to me as a runner, such as stabilization, you know, when you, when you when and, and doing some strength exercises that I kind of, Oh, you know, what's that all about? But boy, uh, that made a big difference. And, and I've taken that with me as, as I've continued. So he made you accountable to yourself, to him, and to your all-round development. Yeah, you know what, John, and I mean, this is just my own philosophy, but and I think it kind of applies to life a little bit, is you've got to take ownership. I mean, if, if yeah. you can't say to the coach, coach, make me into this, you know, the coach will provide you with tools, direction. You've got to take ownership of what you're going to do. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, I'm not always convinced that that always happens. And I, you know, I, I mean, for me personally, and I'll be honest, uh, I, I take ownership. That doesn't mean I'm going to achieve my goals, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lay it on the line as best I can to get there. So I love that because one of the questions I put to a lot of the guests is what is your fight? You know, we say Muhammad Ali, it was race. Other players will have a personal goal, a personal driver within them that pushes them. What would you say is, is the driver for you? What is your fight? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm 64. Over the last five years, I've had a, I've had a, a, a massive clot on the brain, which I, which I overcame, and a stroke, uh, you know, where I lost um, the use of my speech for a while, and I came through. And I, and I really have to credit the doctors, obviously, but also being relatively fit and having, I think, sort of a bit of a mental approach to it where I'm, you know, I don't push through it, but I, you know, I try and do the things that will help me, you know, continue. And for me, it's the, the big, the big fight is that I want to be um, uh, physically fit for my grandchildren. Now I've got a granddaughter, Autumn, who's 16 and she started running and a grandson, Nathan, who's 11 and a grandson, Matthew, who's six. And I want to, when I spend time with them, I want to go skiing. I want to go running. I want to do things that are physical. And really, that's kind of a long-term picture, but it's something I really, really want. And these challenges I set myself, whether it's, you know, running the virtual Boston, uh, London, and New York in a six-week period or whatever, I'm driven by goals, and they just get me along the journey. They're like, they're like you know, road markers along the way. So it's kind of what I'm looking at. I want to be in good shape for as long as I can be. Excellent. 
in your running career then, is there one situation, one example, like you say, you've, you've suffered injuries and, and setbacks. What is the one thing that's made you really check and gain the greatest learning curve um, to, to reflect and really draw on, on that experience? Well, I, you know, this, this, it's been a strange journey. Like, I, like I always joke that, you know, I have a gift and my gift is to do long, long, slow, boring things. I can just keep going and going. So, you know, I don't listen to music, I, but I love just going out on the pathways of Cochrane and running along the river, um, you know, which is kind of my meditation. But I have to say the thing that probably took me to the next level when I was in a bit of a low spot was signing up with, with Mulk, my, with, my, with my coach for that one-year period. Yeah. I was ready to give up running um, back 2017. I was getting slower and slower. I was kind of just, I was just kind of losing my, you know, my mojo. And, and I came up with this idea of this challenge, 62 Beats 47. And when I signed up with Mulk, um, having somebody to help you makes a big difference. And so no question, that has reinvigorated my running. Um, I did some things during that year trying to beat those those times and it's continued and quite frankly since then i've qualified for boston run the virtual boston and i'm just looking for new challenges as i move ahead so looking at new challenges what do you see in the future what challenges are you going to be taking on obviously we're in virtual lockdown at the moment and i've you know i've done a few podcasts on running virtually and there's nothing virtual about the pain of running a marathon whether it's with a group or alone and it's probably harder because Running it virtually, you've got no one to compare with. You've just got to put the pedal to metal and go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, looking, yeah. looking forward. What what are the sort of goals that you would like to see? It's a tough one. As I say, I'm just going through the process of running a virtual Boston, London, and New York, which has kind of been a fun, a fun thing. And I've been fundraising as well for for a young lad in England. His name is Tobias Weller, who uh, he is nine years old and has uh, cerebral palsy and has the superpower of autism. He's an amazing young lad and he ran, he completed two marathons. So, so I mean, that's kind of driving me on. So looking ahead, uh, I must admit, I have signed up for the, I don't know why, but I signed up for the Boston, there's a Boston challenge to run the five, the 10 and the half by the end of the year. So, so I'm going to try and put some times down on those three, just for the heck of it. But next year, John, I don't know. I mean, this is, Everything's up in the air. I, I, I'm enjoying the virtual stuff because at least it gets me out. And as you say, a virtual marathon is not is the same distance as a full marathon, so there's no difference there. Um, so I'm just going to keep my eyes open if something you know something pops up. I mean, in the future, one thing that I kind of would like to do is to run the Everest marathon. I think that'd be kind of cool, but I think that's going to be a fair ways off. So I've got to look for for you know for races in between then and now. So looking back on, on the, certainly on the running career, which, which was your most proudest moment, which, whether it was actually in a race or something external? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Um, you know, one is, uh, my, was, is qualifying for Boston the first time um, in 2004. I mean, that was, that was huge because I wasn't a runner. I didn't think I ever had any skills in sport, but then I found running and, and that was huge. Uh, doing the last marathon in Marathon Quest 250, uh, that final that final run. I mean, that's 10,550 kilometers in one year, and doing that and then raising uh, $320,000 for Right to Play. And more recently, uh, in two, in 2016, I went to Afghanistan, and I went there to run a marathon in support of the women and girls over there who run for freedom and equality. They're persecuted for running, so I went over. And I ran a marathon with a young woman named Cooper, 
and she was struggling. Uh, so I said, come on, I'll help you. We ran the marathon together and it was, it was a seven hour security cutoff. And we finished in six hours and 52 minutes. And just the joy of helping somebody achieve their goal, uh, really, well, and that'll stick with me for uh, forever. Absolutely fantastic. I, I smile because you said I'm not a runner. I was never a runner. And if I had a dollar for every runner that says that, I would be able to retire now. So what turns you and all these other non-runners into runners? And I know talking to people outside of running, they always ask, why do you do that? You know, I had a colleague back home in England who said, you never see a happy runner. So what is, what is, the, what is the fix? What is the buzz? Well, I think, I think it's like anything, you know, start with small steps. I mean, uh, my wife, Sue, um, you, you know, we met and she started running at the age, well, I say running at the age of 52, but we started with um, four and a half minute walk and a half a minute, half a minute run. And it was a slow buildup. And I think that's one thing that's critical to anyone who, who doesn't run is start off slow. Like it, it takes time for the body to, to adapt and to change. So start off with, you know, in the five minute, uh, you know, piece, start off with a half a minute run and a four and a half minute walk and just repeat that and build that up. Um, you know, for Sue, that's what we did. Uh, and over a number of years, she, she ran a, a 5K, a 10K and a half marathon. And at the age of 58, she ran her very first marathon. And so it's never too late. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got a book coming out in April next year called The Ageless Athlete. Uh, age, is, age, is just, age is just a number. And so it's about, you know, we can start at any time, but make sure you do it in a way that you build up slowly. And I think, um, I think that's the key, John. And, and you know, what you ask what the payoff is, well, I'll be honest. Um, when I come in for a run, um, I feel good. I, 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 I never really say I felt worse um, you know, when I, before a run than when I finished, other than some of the marathons I've done. But, but you know, really, um, it's, it, it, you feel better. Physically, you feel better. And mentally, you feel better. And I think, you know, in, in what we're going through right now with COVID, um, to get outside, to walk, I'm the total support of walking. But if you're interested in run walking or running, um, build up slowly. And I love, like I say, the stories that you've you've got. And I know you've got a couple of books out there to support where you've been and the right to play and trying to get children engaged. If you had that magic wand, um, looking at where we are at the moment and where sport is, you know, there's a lot of money at the top end of pro sport, whether it's football, basketball, soccer. What is the one thing that you would change in sport to, to improve? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's an interesting, it's, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I love sport. I love watching, you know, the Premier League footy. Um, you know, I love watching tennis. And there's some amazing athletes. But what really concerns me is when you look at children and the, and the rate of obesity uh, and just how it seems to be going in a different direction to elite sport. So you've got elite sport, you know, more and more money, uh, you know, um, promotion. And yet you've got on the other end, we have a situation where, you know, children are doing less and less physical activity. And if I had that magic wand, uh, I would really, you know, really love to figure out a way of, of having kids more engaged in sport, where sport is open to anybody. And again, I feel, you know, here uh, we started off with, you know, me as, you know, Tubby Parnell when I was, a, you know, a boy, and you'll pick last and stuff. And, and, you know, that doesn't encourage you to do sport. And I think we've got to figure out a way of being more inclusive, being more inclusive to, to you know, to gender, being more inclusive to diversity, get everybody involved so they feel that, that they're participating in something that's, that's good for them, but also 
is reflected in their community. And so that's my magic wand, uh, John, is to get the kids moving and to continue that, that uh, lifestyle of exercise and fitness. I know, and I, I really appreciate it because I know certainly here in Canada, we've got a lot of sports you have to be members and pay for. The schools don't have time to do uh, daily physical activity. It's a walk to the pine. I'd love to see more clubs open the doors and create opportunities to be accessible. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, yeah, thank you for your time today. And uh, any last words of encouragement for those who doubt or cannot understand why you would run? I know, I don't understand it, John. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's But no, I think, all I think is, I, I think, uh, you know, many times there's a sort of a feeling of intimidation. And again, I think it can be reflected on, you know, do you have the right gear? Do you have the right shoes? Do you have the right... Um, you know, go, you know, um, yeah. watch or whatever. And I think just, just put that all aside. Like, like if you've got a pair of comfortable shoes, then, you know, set a goal. I mean, that's the one thing I really believe in is set a goal of maybe, you know, walking 2k a day or something. And then, you know, you might look at doing, as I said, half, half, a, you know, half a minute running and four minutes walking and, and start that way, you know, look at, look at groups to, to do it together with groups. The biggest step is the first step. It's as yeah. simple as that. And, and also, don't beat yourself up if there's a day when you said, oh, you know, I don't want to do it. That's fine. But start setting goals. Link up with people who, who are sort of like-minded. And then I think just enjoy it. Just start that new approach. And, you know, do what you can, and, uh, but start now. Start now. Take that first step and just work your way through it. I love that. Start now. So listen to that, everyone. Let's get out and find our way out onto the past during this last uh, dash of, of fall before the snow comes. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time today, Martin. And I know you've been a great inspiration to other runners and certainly with your charitable work. I would encourage everyone to have a look at his website for further information on Martin and look out for his new book, the ageless athlete. Let's get everyone out active and moving, certainly as we're going in, into winter. Please reach out if you have any questions regarding running, and I truly hope to see some of you on the trails soon. Keep safe, keep warm, and keep moving. Keep moving.